Hi, everyone, and welcome to the State of State Schools podcast. I'm your host, John Stamper, Christian author, former homeschooler, and former public school teacher. Once a week, I'll give a quick recap of the most important headlines in education and pull back the curtain on what's really happening in our kids' schools. If you're a teacher, parent, or homeschool family, this podcast is for you. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 11. We have five headlines to get to, all coming from the week of March 13th. So let's get started. Headline number one is a follow-up from a story I've covered previously. It comes from the Christian Post. An Arizona public school district is being sued after terminating their contract with Arizona Christian University over concerns of the university's Christian beliefs. One school board member in the Washington Elementary School District, who identifies as a neurodivergent, queer, black, Latina, said the university's Christian beliefs, quote, make me feel like I cannot be safe in the school district, end quote. The terminated contract takes away opportunities for future teachers to gain field experience, as well as future recruitment opportunities for the school district. The university's complaint stated that, quote, this civil rights action seeks to protect a Christian university and its students' fundamental rights to religious exercise and speech and to be free from unlawful governmental discrimination simply because of their religious status and beliefs, end quote. The president of Arizona Christian University stated that over the last 11 years, the public school district has welcomed over 100 of the university students and even hired many of them to full-time positions. The school district continually asked for more of the university students because of the quality of their work. The university does require its students to sign a statement of faith, but they also acknowledge that their student teachers must adhere to the school district's guidelines when student teaching. So imagine being one of those university students who've been hired full-time by the school district or just imagine being a student or parent in that school district who happens to be a Christian. And here, three out of five of your school board members view you as harmful to students, harmful to staff, and harmful to your entire district. You've just become an enemy, not because of anything you've done, but simply because of what you believe. You are no longer welcome. This is how I felt when I was teaching in Chicago public schools. My teacher training on intersectionality told me that I was oppressive, that I was emotionally abusive, I was intimidating, threatening, that I used children. These are their words. Simply because I'm a white man, I'm a Christian, and I'm heterosexual. Not just me, but staff and students like me. We are the bad guys. We are guilty, we're privileged, we're oppressors. This is wrong. It's dangerously divisive. So I'm glad this Christian university is filing a lawsuit. That seems to be the only way to put an end to this discrimination against Christians. Headline number two is another follow-up to a story I covered a few weeks ago from Fox News. A Christian high school in Vermont has been banned from future state tournaments in all sports for refusing to play against transgender athletes. The girls' basketball team at Mid-Vermont Christian School forfeited its state tournament game this year because their opponent had a biological male on its team. 
The head of school for Mid-Vermont Christian stated it was unsafe and unfair for biological males to play against biological females. The Vermont Principals Association issued their own statement saying their organization, quote, reiterates its ongoing support of transgender student athletes as not only a part of building an inclusive community for each student to grow and thrive, but also as a clear expectation by Vermont state laws, end quote. Vermont's Agency of Education currently allows trans students to use restrooms, locker rooms, facilities, and join sports teams that align with their gender identity, not their biological sex. So here's a hypothetical situation that very realistically could take place in Vermont or anywhere that allows men to compete in women's sports. Let's say, hypothetically, the Christian school has a few 14-year-old freshman girls on the team. And the opposing team has one or two 18-year-old biological males on their team. Have any of you ever seen an 18-year-old varsity male athlete stand next to a 14-year-old female athlete? Like a senior boy and a freshman girl? This is not to disparage female athletes at all. I've coached high school girls and middle school elementary girls. But generally speaking, there's a huge difference between male and female athletes. Generally speaking, I'm a former varsity coach and PE teacher. I've coached every level of athlete, K through 12, boys and girls, and there's no way I would ever say this situation is fair or safe. It's completely unsafe. It's completely unfair. Not to mention completely dishonest and unethical because you're lying to the students. But what the state of Vermont is saying by banning the team is that schools do not have the option to protect that 14-year-old girl. But instead, the state requires that 14-year-old girl to compete against that 18-year-old boy. In essence, they're saying, give us your daughters. Put them in harm's way. Sacrifice their well-being on the altar of transgenderism. And if that girl doesn't like it, it's because she is the one discriminating. She is the one being unfair. She's the one being unsafe. This is backwards. I haven't heard anything about pushback or responses uh, from parents toward the Vermont Principals Association or the Agency of Education, but there should be a huge pushback. God bless those coaches and leadership at Mid-Vermont Christian for standing up for these girls, for truth and for sanity. Headline number three comes from the post-millennial. A health teacher and football coach in Oregon required his high school students to write a story about their sexual fantasies. A screenshot of the assignment was posted on Facebook and shared with parents at the high school. The assignment description reads as follows, quote, you will write a short story of a paragraph or two. This story is a sexual fantasy that will have no penetration or any kind of oral sex. You will choose three items to use in your story. Romantic music, candles, massage oil, feather, feather boa, flavored syrup, etc. Your story should show that you can show and receive loving physical affection without having sex, end quote. Apparently, this teacher has issued assignments like this before, one parent told of a previous assignment titled, quote, 
with whom would you do it, end quote. For this particular assignment, students were given a list of various sexual activities. And next to each activity, they had to write down the initials of a classmate with whom they'd like to perform each sexual activity. This is sickening, disgusting. One parent said about the assignment, quote, can you imagine having to look your teacher or coach in the eye, knowing he has knowledge of your most intimate imaginations? This has no business in school or anywhere else, end quote. The health curriculum being used by the school is called Our Whole Lives, or OWL, O-W-L, and it is endorsed by the Oregon Department of Education, but it is not part of the required curriculum. It's not clear yet if these assignments are even part of that curriculum. So this is perverted. It's creepy. It's inappropriate, immoral. It's just wrong. And again, by the time parents find out about it, it's too late. It's after the fact. And this isn't even required instruction. It's totally optional. And of all the things a health curriculum could include, this school, this teacher, goes with sexual fantasies of minors. So how could this have been prevented? Well, normally I'd suggest having parents be part of the curriculum adoption process to catch stuff like this. But this assignment may not even have been a part of that curriculum. It may have just been entirely made up by the teacher or coach. So this story just reinforces the fact that parents should always have the final say on when, where, and how topics like sex are discussed, whether that be at school or at home. Now, I'm not talking about the biology of sexual reproduction. I'm talking about sexuality. My vote is that it should always be discussed at home. There's really no academic value to discussing sexual material like this. Headline number four comes from Spectrum News One. A new bill has been proposed in California that would require teachers and school staff to notify parents if their child identifies as transgender at school. Assembly Bill 1314 is quote unquote, simple and straightforward, according to Assemblymember Bill Asaley, who introduced the bill. He went on to say that quote, if a child requests to be publicly addressed by a gender pronoun other than their sex at birth, or to use facilities of a different gender, a parent must be notified, end quote. The bill was introduced at a press conference outside of Yerupa High School, where a high school teacher was recently fired after refusing to lie to parents about their child's trans identity. She was fired because she refused to lie to parents. So this bill directly addresses a huge issue that's all over the country right now, the topic of notifying parents. It seems like common sense, but huge amounts of teachers, principals, and school counselors want to keep trans identities a secret from parents. So my questions moving forward are, are teachers required to use preferred pronouns for students if their parents request it? What happens if teachers refuse to use those preferred pronouns? Are trans students allowed to use whatever bathroom or locker room they want? And can boys play on girls' sports teams? States all over the country are taking up these issues and each state is handling it differently. The bottom line is, parents, teachers, if you're in the public school system, then be ready for these types of fights. Be ready to take a stand in the face of huge opposition. 
like this teacher who was fired. But stand up for your kids, stand up for Christian morals, and speak the truth in love. Headline number five is our last headline, so I'll leave you with a good news story from the Christian Post. Coach Joe Kennedy, you may remember him as the high school football coach who was punished for praying on the field after games. Well, he has finally been reinstated after nearly eight years. The initial suspension happened in 2015 and was the result of what the school district said was a violation of the Establishment Clause in the First Amendment. Well, after a long string of legal defeats in circuit courts, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of Coach Kennedy by a vote of six to three. Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote for the majority saying, quote, Kennedy prayed during a period when school employees were free to speak with a friend, call for a reservation at a restaurant, check email, or attend to other personal matters. He offered his prayers quietly while his students were otherwise occupied. Still, the Bremerton School District disciplined him anyway. Both the free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment protect expressions like Mr. Kennedy's. The Constitution and the best of our traditions counsel mutual respect and tolerance, not censorship and suppression for religious and non-religious views alike, end quote. So the coach is back. And that's all we have for this week. That's the State of State Schools. Take care.